Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Rockers. We are back on the pod. We are entering the time of year where the gongs are handed out. Awards season and title season. Uh, Alex Lowe here, rugby correspondent for the Times. I'm joined by the returning Alan Dimmock, rugby world editor. Welcome, Al. Hello. Good, um, lovely to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you. It's been a while. That, this new the new gig of yours is taking up all your time, right? Yes. No, let's stick to that story. <laughs> and uh, down the line, Stuart Barnes. How are you, Stuart? Hi, Alex. I'm very well, thank you. We are back on the pod to talk. Premiership semi-finals, a quick review of maybe the last round of, of the regular season where Bath clinched the last Champions Cup place. We have an interview with Harvey Bilgeon. Stephen Jones has been in touch with the Jersey Reds director of rugby to reflect on their title-winning campaign in, in the Championship. And Al's going to join us a bit later to talk about his new long read in the latest issue of Rugby World magazine on the issue of, of dealing with grief, Al. Yeah, it's a it's a universal thing. It, it sadly uh, touches us all. We never really speak about how it affects athletes. So I, I dived into it. I spoke to uh, some guys with varying experiences. I, I'll admit a tough one to write, but hopefully, mm. if if it points anyone in the right direction, if they feel like they need help, then all the better for it. Cool. Well, we're coming up next. We'll start with uh, our review of the Prem and uh, maybe pick through some of our own award winners. Maybe our, our team of the year coming up on the ruck. Right, let's start our, our Prem chat down in the wreck. Barnsley, you chose the right game to go to at the weekend. There, there wasn't much to be decided in, in the last round of the Premiership other than which team would, would sneak into the final Champions Cup position. And, and it was Bath, by the skin of their teeth, really right, right at the end of a, of, a, of a pretty comprehensive win against a very weak Saracen side. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was not a great game. Uh, you know, it, it wrapped up 20 points for Bath in their last four games. So it's a hell of a charge to from bottom of the league to get that place. But I think probably it's the worst Bath have played in those last four games. They relied almost exclusively for 70 minutes on on pick and drive and line-out drives, and it was a pretty ugly game. And credit to Saracens, who had an extremely young team. You know, first 40 minutes they led, but in the end, Bath tied them out. And then what we had in the last 10 minutes, which is the beauty of sport, an utterly forgettable game, uh, and then suddenly it was getting very close uh, in terms of points difference between Bristol and Bath for that eighth spot. Ollie Lawrence perhaps fittingly scored the last try of the game to wrap it up. And uh, it was probably the most animated and excited I've seen Bath for, for a number of years, even though it wasn't a great game, um, but it was a great end to the season because when you throw Finn Russell into the equation, Bath were desperate to have him and their team playing Champions Cup rugby. It rounded off an amazing week and a very fine three, four weeks for Bath. I'll tell you what was interesting. It was the fact that Tom Dunn, a hooker for Bath, was the top point scorer 
over the weekend with his with his hat trick. No one scored any more points than him according to Oval Insights. He also stormed. Is that the right phrase to use? Trundled into yeah. into third on the top try scorer list for the regular season. Well, just... I've got to say, I think you guys know it's something I've been writing about and moaning about for ages. I just don't think uh, dubious penalties that are kicked to the corner and then it's a catch and drive. You're, you're allowed to basically be legally obstructing the ball. You collapse it. It's a penalty. You collapse it again. It's a yellow card. Eventually, there's a try. Wayne Smith. I was going to say, are you Wayne Smith? I was going to say, are you Wayne Smith in disguise? Well, no, no. I mean, I've got to say, I've been writing this for a long, long time, and I'm sure Wayne, who I know very well, has been thinking it for a long time. But I was delighted to see that uh, I wasn't the old, only old man coming out with a rant and. Uh, we always got this thing in rugby. How do we develop the next tier of supporters? And rugby is quite conservative. And it says, you know, basically says Sodom. If you don't like how the game is, that'll do it. But that's not good enough. And the, there's, a, there's a, a lack of justice when referees are guessing scrums. They're guessing so many penalties and matches and European places are being decided by two minutes of dubious trudgery. It's it's not good enough. So, you, so you, Barnes, you don't think that new rugby fans can appreciate the beauty of a of a well constructed rolling mall? Yeah, but what, what what's beautiful about something where four or five people get in front of it and you can't pull it down for want of getting a yellow card or a penalty? It is it is, Alex. It is it is obstruction and it's legalized. It's ridiculous. If a centre is carrying and he's got the outside half and the other centre standing in front of him um, like a shield. It's an immediate penalty. Mm. So uh, tell me how a driving line out allows the ball to be at the back with players in front of it bound on driving on. Explain to me how that can be legal. Um, because that's how that's how a mall's always work, Barnes. If you if you're if you're so, in... but, but hang on, just because this is a bit like the royal family thing. Just because someone came over in 1066 and they gave the land to their mates, it doesn't mean it's right. So, in, in in the same way that a driving mall initially, I mean, when the laws came out, you could kick the bloody ball into touch from anywhere and you'd still get the line out. And someone said, well, this is stupid. And they changed it. You couldn't just kick the ball out on the fall from anywhere. And what I'm saying is, and I, I'm not I'm not pleading for just non-stop running rugby and a, and a glorified version of sevens, but I am saying just because the mall has always been offside. Doesn't mean we should stay that way. And the other thing is, when those laws came into place, the game was amateur. It didn't have forward coaches spending hour after hour after hour working out a way in which a defence couldn't get near the ball. I played in the decade before the game went professional. There were teams know, that I, did I, it, but they I, didn't focus on it. And and now that it's being focused on, and it has become the modus operandi. I'm really sorry, but you cannot have referees not certain whether it's really a penalty or not and games and leagues being decided by what is, not technically, what is factually offside positions. Crazy. I, it's, it's but Barnes, I do think there's a, there's a skill in some of the best mall defenders that, that we've got in the game in, in levering apart those bound players and splintering and finding and swimming through the middle of it to get their hands on it and, and disrupt. I mean, there is there's a skill in in defending it. 
it's just it's a very uh, difficult yeah, and, skill. Also, and also sees the value of players that can stop things at source so certainly Peter Romani for a while was one mm. of the most valuable players in rugby because he was so good at picking off opposition lineouts you know I agree with that and it was an inter- it's interesting when teams say we're going to rise up to the ground first we're not going to wait for them to set but the fact still remains that in the last five years, if you look at hookers' try-scoring records in the history of the game, and in the last five years, you will see not an interesting evolution of the game, you will see a radical change, and it is a change that is based around the ability to kick the ball to the corner and then drive from close range. Yes, Alex, I don't dispute that swimming through a a maul is is a skill and it's admirable, but is this really the essence of the game? And, and should such an advantage be with a team who are just throwing the ball in for five metres when, as you say, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to deny it. You, you see scrums go down. I know that the refs half the time aren't quite certain what they're giving that for. I, I, I would agree that you, you don't want anything on the rugby field to be a fait accompli because the, the whole nature of the sport is that every element of the game should be a contest. I agree with that. But I, so I, I, I do, but I do think the more... You, you you don't want it to be a weapon that is undefendable, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with trying to create a contest in every area of, of the game. And, and I'm interested when so when you played Barnsley, mm-hmm. did you have an issue with the mall then? And and if what has evolved in that area of the game that has led to Tom Dunn being the third try scorer, third top try scorer? Right, a it's the focus. Coaches have realised that it's the easiest way to score a try. It impacts upon scrummaging because scrummaging now is not a matter of of getting a right hand and creating a blind side. It is a matter of winning a penalty. Mm. Scrummage dominance is getting penalties. Getting penalties is a lottery. So that's my first problem. Secondly, no, as an outside half, if we felt that uh, Bath had a dominance up front, then we would we would drive a line out and we would keep driving a line out. But what I'm saying is those were in times when there were only so many coaches and there were only so many minutes in the day when you could practice. So you couldn't focus to the extent we see now. And because of that focus, people like Tom Dunn score more tries than his club's wingers. Now, the game doesn't have to be a, a beautiful flowing thing all the time. But if you're telling me that hookers scoring close range tries is a better advert and, and a better uh, advertisement, yeah, a better advert for the game than open play, then I can't believe that. I, I don't believe that. And, you know, we are, go back to the situation. The drive might be good. Become, it, it, it is impacting upon how we scrummage. It is impacting upon how, how we kid referees. And it is impacting because it, it it's always been an offside because the laws never really thought about it. And it, it's it's a, it's the most gigantic loophole that is being exploited. Well, I say to you, Alex, do you think it's okay if an inside centre carries it and he has an open side and an outside centre standing in front of him to stop anybody getting to him? Is that okay? No, you would say no, that's, you would that's, say that's blatant offside. Yeah. What I, I just, what is the difference? Well, like I get Tom the- Dudden, the difference what, what, is that the difference is, is they're, they're bound, aren't they? That that is technically the difference. Yeah, I think. I, I mean, I think we could talk about this for ages and ages. I think we could have a similar conversation about you know the the prevalence of how defence became the the most important thing. And yeah, I think 
what Stuart's touching on is is if you come in to transform a club, what are the things you focus on first at a club that's been yeah. a shambles? Yeah. Driving line out, sort your defence, make sure people are as or fit as possible. Or if you take over England, what are the things you focus on first? Uh, yeah. I, I, I agree. No, Quite. I agree completely. I agree. I just I do see it still as a fundamental difference, a different point, difference in the game and I wouldn't want it to be eradicated I'd say there's a wider conversation for us to have and this is probably not the platform for it right now although I'm always open for a special on this guys but the the mall special no no not even the mall special is the state of the scrum and and how we officiate it and that kind of thing I'm going to put in a shameless plug here Ken Owens uh, who's a columnist in Rugby World every month his column this month in the magazine is, is about the state of the scrum he actually thinks it's in a better place than it's been for years and if you think that sounds like God's wallop uh, then go and read the magazine, I'd suggest. <laughs> right. Book speak. A um, couple of other things we should we should just reflect on around around the Premiership. Since we last spoke to you on, on the ruck, the whole London Irish pay saga played out minutes, like literally a couple of minutes before the entire London Irish squad last Friday were, were going to hand in their letters to the club for breach of contract. The owner sent an email confirming that he would pay the salaries for all the players and staff that, that had been unpaid for a week. My understanding is that the London Irish and the owner, Mick Crossan, ha- had expected the takeover of the club to have gone through during the month of April and so therefore weren't planning to, to have to pay the salaries themselves. Obviously, the, this consortium had stepped in a month earlier to pay them. The, the takeover hasn't happened and it's stalled because this group of six interested parties, investors, some if not all of them from America, um, have yet to provide the RFU with the, the necessary documentation, proof of funds, and to outline which of them would be the principal owner of the club, i.e. the named owner of the club when, when they took over. So this that's the reason for the delay. Obviously, we had a week of of London Irish players and staff unpaid being promised the money was going to come every day and it didn't arrive we, we saw this at the start of the season didn't we with Worcester the players being promised one thing it never happening and how quickly the trust broke down well but within a week at London Irish the players were wanting to check if they if they were insured to play in the, the final game of the season they were told they were and they went back to the club and asked for written confirmation. Now, if there's anything that demonstrates a breakdown in trust for me, then it's then it's that that kind of action. Uh, right at the end of uh, yeah, right before they they handed these these letters in, they received confirmation of the money, confirmation that they were insured, and they went ahead and and played in the last game of the season. But it just all it's done is kick the can down the road because we'll have the same issues unless this takeover goes ahead in the next three weeks. We'll have exactly the same issue in a month's time heading into the next p- pay packet, and it just really has been the, th- the theme of the se- of a season that began with Wasps and Worcester going bust, ends with London Irish clearly in difficulties and a takeover that's stalled um, from a consortium who, who won't tell us who they are. They, tr- they don't want to step forward and, and reveal who they are or why they want to buy a club that's £30 million in debt with no stadium. So we're left in the dark a bit with, with lots of lots of questions. Barnsley, it just highlights the, uh, the state of club rugby in England at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, I wanted to write a sort of semi-feel-good piece on Friday for the Times about Bath, and I had to sort of lead off first four pars, just saying what a sad, sorrowful thing it was. It was great that for, for for London Irish and the Premiership, the Gallagher Premiership in particular, that the game went ahead because had that game not gone ahead and had there been the shenanigans uh, come in public while the season was still going. I think psychologically that would have been such a hammer blow. It would have been horrendous. It did It did sum it up, and, and I think you're absolutely right, Alex. Uh, from my perspective, it was the saddest and, and, and the worst of regular seasons. 
um, because of the corporate collapse of, of two clubs and the concern over a third. Yeah, it, it's, you know, we, we, we've got playoffs and we're looking forward to them. And I hope it's great rugby, but this has been a, a difficult, if not desperate year um, for English club rugby. What stands out the most about, what makes us stand out as well, is it's it's been a bookend of misery, hasn't it? It's We've yeah. got we've had a horrible shadow over the start of the season, and now we've got mm. another one coming along at the end of the season, and it just shows you that nothing goes away. You know, we can't stick our head in the sand about any of this. We can't pretend like it's like it's not going on. And it's, you know, we're throwing around words like consortium, and we're throwing around words like trust, and it just goes to show you that all we wanted from the start of the season to now is clarity on a lot of things, and it seems like everything's as murky as it's ever been. So, but I was like you, Barnes. I had to do a uh, a piece for for today's paper, Tuesday's paper, in which I wanted to yeah, just re- reflect on some yeah. of the brighter brighter moments in the season, some of the things that brought us all joy on the field. But you can't. It feels like you can't do that without highlighting the other side yeah. of it because that has been the narrative of uh, of the year and talking to Premiership Rugby and, and the RFU they are aware they have one chance to to try and solve this and and that that is this this framework that's been negotiated for yeah. for, for, for the future um but it does you know you, we, we've and we've I say it's been the theme we've talked about this all season on the pod that, of how much great stuff there's been how many great storylines narratives performances matches that we've all we've all enjoyed, but it's all been played out under the shadow of of uncertainty and mismanagement and poor leadership and sort of executive failings. So let's. I'm so I was just fascinated to see how the segue came in here is going going from that to like almost like the like, almost like a cut on the one show. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's like uh, oh God, just desperately sad times. Anyway, what a season for sale, yeah, huh? Well, yeah, well, but that, but that is literally the point, though, isn't yeah. it? How do we? You have to reflect. You, you, it feels disingenuous to go. Here are some fun awards that we can hand out for mm. great performances and highlights and moments of the season, and f- and not reflect the environment and the conditions that the season was 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 played under. So, segue. That is exactly what I tried to do in the in the newspaper today, and yeah. in doing so, named my proposed team of the season. Well, proposed. It's my team of the season, and, and which you stick with it. Well, I will. I will. Even though it, it hadn't occurred to me until uh, some readers commented underneath, and then Alfie, our producer, it's like the first thing he said to me today. He said, "There's one glaring omission." I was like going through it. I go, "Who? I can't see the glaring omission." And then realised, of course, that there are no sale sharks players in this team, which was not a deliberate decision at all but it's just how it played out anyway for those who haven't yet got their copy of the times i'm sure you will here is my 15 of the season alex good caden murley ollie lawrence and nick tompkins matteo carreras owen farrell and alex mitchell there's your bat line up front the maulers val rapava ruskin julian montoya marco ricchioni george martin Lucan Salakai Lotto from Northampton, Ted Hill at six, Tom Pearson at seven, and Jasper Visa at number eight. Now, the sale fans on the Times website who took exception have a pretty good, pretty good case. But I did point out to them that my second choice in about three or four positions was a sale player, and there are a lot of. Al, you were saying this earlier. There are a lot of sale players who could very have a very strong case for for being named in, in a team of the season. For me. Joe Carpenter just got edged out by Alex Good. Rob Dupria got edged out by Owen Farrell. These are tight calls. Gus War, brilliant what is he good season. For <laughs> Second place in my t- in my scrum off. He's on, he's on my bench. I mean, not bad. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you couldn't. You, I, well, let's call it unconscious bias. 
You know, you, I'm sure you could have squeezed one of them in. I, well, I could have done if I'd if it had been a like thinking through. I have to represent all the clubs. I well, that wasn't my no. process. I just went through position by position. And like Ben Curry's had an awesome season. And someone said, I can't believe he's not he's not in your back row. So, but he's only played seven, and he's up against. I mean, that's one of the hardest positions to to select because Tom Pearson's been outstanding. Ben Earl, outstanding. Will Evans leads the the league in turnovers, outstanding. Ben Curry's been brilliant. And I mm. went, I went for Tom Pearson. But I mean, it's worth it's worth saying that the the sales back row, just as an entity, has been phenomenal this season, and they yeah. they deserve they deserve their dues. But it's all I was like looking at it as well. I was just going through your list and going like, who who is a must pick in this? I mean, Jasper Visa is. God, I'd hate to play against him. Yeah. Like the way that he like just the front foot ball that he generates on his own um, is incredibly valuable. For a lesser time, it's um, just in fact talking of unconscious or conscious. I've just been talking about the sale back row and then him. Like for the semis in the in the the Premiership, that's battle's going to be. I want to say amazing. It'll be horrific, probably. Watching yeah, it, it'll, it'll be, be brutal. sort of guts and glory and blood and thunder and all sorts. Going oh, in the I mean, yes, if we go to that semi-final, sale sharks against Leicester Tigers. The one area that if if they were to meet a Saracens team in the final, that they will attack Saracens, is in that. Back row because you you look at the, the units that they would have. I mean, John O'Ross retiring, but up against Jasper Visa, mm. John Luke Dupria and Ben Curry. Tom Curry, as we said last week, has come back from injury and is looking enormous. Leicester Tigers have you know, George Martin rampaging around in the in the second row as, as effectively as he did in the back row. Barnsley, that that Sale Leicester game um, is is shaping up to be a yeah to, to be a sort of I know Barnsley hates the phrase, but a real kind of blood and thunder encounter at the AJ Bell. Yeah, I think so. And I think that will be a game where territory is king. It will be a game where you try and dominate the gain line and then you put your your kicking team in a position to put massive pressure on. You talked earlier about 50-22s. I see this as a game where both sides will be looking to find find that position and, and, and work through there. Um, they're quite similar in many ways. They play, yeah, blood and thunder. Blood and no. thunder is the right word there. I, I I suspect there may not be too much subtlety unless is Ford going to be starting. Yeah, I think so. Be Ford against Andre Pollard. That that in itself, you know, it's it's an obvious thing to write about in the paper. But mm. the reality, I think, at the moment is that Sale might just be making a start a mistake because I think the most balanced and interesting and and influential fly half. Week in, week out in the Premiership has been uh, Dupree. Well, it's interesting. There's going to be a lot of focus on 10. And obviously, the forwards, there's going to be no quarter asked or given. And I'm just hoping that we get to see some of the best of what Gus War's given us. You know, if he can slip between the seams and scuttle about, you know, I'm hoping that that'll be an interesting thing that, you know, people are... I'm hoping that people focus so much on the arm wrestle and who's guiding things at 10 that he sort of gets an opportunity to sort of be a little blade. Yeah, I think Rob, Rob Dupre definitely deserves a, uh, a reference, Barnes. I mean, I, he he didn't make my team because although he play, he started the season, played played the first half of the season at ten, he's he's moved to to outside centre once once George Ford came yeah. back. But he was at, he was superb for for Sale yeah, as as they waited for for Ford to get fit, and and in the end, because really because he's finishing the season at thirteen, and I've seen a lot of of Farrell playing just. Brilliant rugby for, for for Saracens, really evolving that team, driving driving their their style of play into a different direction this season. That that was basically how I ended up p- 
picking picking Farrell just over Dupree and I didn't want to to make a kind of a just a, an easy compromise and move Farrell to 12 because he doesn't play there for Saracens so I no, had, you shouldn't. No, I had no, some no, quite strict absolutely. quite, some quite strict team. selection Go rules yeah, well, I, I, what I find slightly interesting, Farrell has played a lot of games and I've seen him play a lot of good games and I've seen commentary and us in the papers acknowledge it, but I've actually seen him play three or four howlers and there's a silence. He's one of these players when if he has a bad game, he's just not mentioned. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And, and, and I think Dupria play more very good games and fewer howlers. So he'd have been my 10. But I don't... Your team and and, and and Farrell on four for Saracens makes a big difference for them. I don't dispute that in the slightest. Just just to pick out one other player, you said, uh, as you discussed the Bath game, that it was fitting that Ollie Lawrence scored that winning try. Why, did you mean fitting because it, it, it capped a, a stellar campaign for him? Worcester's bad luck was Bath's great luck because Ted Hill has been outstanding. That was a good pick, I think, uh, on your part. And Lawrence gave them a, a thrust that, frankly, hasn't been coming from Jonathan Joseph for some time now. And and when I said it was fitting that he got the try, I didn't mean on Saturday. I meant uh, the fact that he gave Bath the gain line in so many games where they they have they've just been playing backwards and shuffling sideways. And and so people like Watson have been they've been a waste of time. You might as well have got rid of Watson uh, before. Uh, Ollie Lawrence came because you can't play high uh, top level professional rugby going backwards and sideways and that's all Bath have done for about two years Lawrence came in and he gave him thrust so he was a very important man for them and deserved to be in that team and often in this game we see marriages of convenience or or people that stick stick by people despite uh, the way it shouldn't be I remember being on this pod maybe a, a year ago or two years ago where uh, we're on with Barnsley and Barnsley was talking about how if Ollie Lawrence had any ambition he would leave Worcester well his hands were tied on this one and not a marriage of convenience to, for him to end up at Bath but my god they've been good for each other haven't they mm. I mean Indeed. just the, the style of play but also him accepting the role that he has to play and stepping things up a little bit and let's be honest it's not it's been a really big push from Bath but they've been dreadful for a, for a long time and they, they needed this run at the end and they've just slipped in under the wire to make the Champions mm. Cup so it'll be interesting to see how they go there but they just seem like a perfect fit for each other I, like, I do like the idea of, of Finn Russell and Ollie Lawrence combining next in, season indeed, indeed and I'm sure Finn Russell does as well by yeah, the way yeah well, that, that that's fantastic. And I, I say, you know, my old mate Steve Ajomo, his son Max has done a very good job there. But with Max Ajomo being a direct sort of running sort, there's also uh, Cam Redpath mm-hmm. to come back. Who's Ollie Lawrence's best well, mate. The, the thought of uh, Russell, Redpath and uh, and Lawrence is quite tasty. If, you know, Bath have got to get quicker phase ball. If they get quicker phase ball uh, and they've got, Alex's beloved driving more and my hated thing. They are going to be, you know, they're going to have hookers scoring 10 tries, a winger scoring 15, and they're going to be there or thereabouts. Right. Well, listen, in, t- in times gone by, we'd be planning to see Jersey Reds in the in the Premiership next season. That isn't going to happen because, as we all know, there is no promotion and relegation. But um, they have had a brilliant season and have probably surprised a few people in beating Ealing Trailfinders to, to win the championship. And up next, Steve Jones has been speaking to their director of rugby, Harvey Bilgen.
And as promised, uh, we're now going to speak to one of the men of the moment, as he's probably a little bit embarrassed to discover. Harvey Biljohn, the director of rugby of the champion, Jersey Reds. Harvey must have a nice ring to it. And um, I know it was a few days ago when you won it, but the sense of thrill must be still with you. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, still a little bit surreal. I don't think it's quite sunk in yet. We've we've, we've just got to a cup semi final and a final against Ealing again. So uh, so still still. But I'm sure there'll be a there'll be a moment after the, these next this this weekend where I can actually sit back and reflect and take take it all in. Harvey, um, the title. I know you guys have a severe uh, or you, you plan ahead very meticulously. Did you actually plan to, to win the championship? Or was it something that the momentum gave you as the season went along? I think at the it was a conscious decision at the beginning and a year before preseason that we were going to put a three-stage plan in place to get to this point. I think we exceeded expectation. But undoubtedly, as the season went on, with our rotation policy, with our robust training program, and and with the results going away and the confidence building in the group, I think um, you know we, we we started to find that belief that we could. Uh, we could get uh, you know win the title, and uh, you know thankfully we we got there and did get the get the right results. The, uh, the the closing stages were very very exciting. Was it something which which grabbed large parts of the island? The rugby community on this island has grown immensely, and there's so much excitement about the game here at, at the minute. And I'm not just talking about us as the the professional arm of the of Jersey Reds, but the the actor section, the women's section, the minis and juniors. The last three weeks, the Ely game, the um, the Emtil game when we won the uh, won won the trophy, and then the Sion Cup this weekend, it's just been absolutely immense. The excitement around rugby, the championship um, on this podcast, and indeed throughout most of the rugby world, as far as I can see, people realise that the the possibilities of it, and it seems to me, it's always seems to me an utter and an even disgraceful waste of time when it doesn't get backed up. Uh, for, for a start, the standards this year, Ealing, obviously always dangerous, Coventry uh, seem to revive and, and recall some of their great days, Doncaster always, dif- always difficult, you know, College Pirates are difficult to, to go away and win there, which you did. How was the standard compared to previous years? I think there's some great coaching going on in the championship, some really great players. With the right development, have got the ability to play at the next level. We know from a data perspective, when we play in those top end games, Jersey versus Ealing, for example, that data compares with what's going on in the Premiership at the moment. So we know the gap's not that bad, that that far at the top of the top of the Championship. I think the standard of rugby in the Championship has grown every single season. Really, and um, so it really took some winning this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is never an easy game in this league. Uh, I can assure you. And remember, you, the, the the challenges each week. To like, I mean, for us, and I'll just go back to Jersey. Is is the next game got bigger? And this is the biggest game. And the next week's the biggest game. The next week's the biggest game. So, yeah. I think across the board, there, there's there's an opportunity for young players to really develop, grow, uh, and that's only going to improve English rugby as a whole. We'll just come back to the what you might call the politics of that in a minute, but. Um, it, it is a fierce uh, commitment from your players because, I mean, if uh, in the Premiership, uh, Leicester can play Northampton and almost walk to the ground. Uh, you know, obviously there's some some people a little bit further away, but 
you know, Bristol and uh, and Gloucester and Bath and Exeter are all close together. Your guys, presumably, for, for almost every away game, had to fly, had to have time away. Now, I know they're professionals, but, you know, they've got families and they've got commitments. How draining is it to, to be Jersey and to have that distance? It's unique, you're right. Um, but at the same time, it's also an opportunity for players to come together. Uh, they They travel together, they room together and all those things. So there's, there's a lot more positive to take out of that. In my opinion, I think getting on a flight, traveling over, which is 35, 40 minutes, 45 minutes to the UK, and then a short coach drive, a coach drive to wherever you are is a lot easier than sitting on a coach from Cornish Pirates to Bedford, which is 10 hours long. So, so I think on the whole, professional athletes get used to being away every second weekend for one or two nights a weekend. But, um, We've got our, our strategies in place for, for away games. And, and on the whole, yeah, on the whole, it's 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 part and parcel of, of championship rugby. Cool. Um, um, one of the things that I we were hearing from the RFU a couple of years ago and um, uh, was that um, they were worried that the championship wasn't working properly as a, as a, a, a proving ground for the premiership. Well, if you look at Jersey's fixtures, uh, or rather Jersey's history, what they say is absolutely diametrically, seems to be diametrically opposed to the facts because, you know, the likes of Callum Sheedy were with you, uh, Will Rowlands, but a, a galaxy of players. And also it's the same for quite a lot of um, uh, of the other clubs in the championship. People, A lot of people I interview always say, you know, I got far more out of playing in the championship than I ever did in an academy, etc. Do you, do you, it's vaguely sort of insulted by the, by the implication that you're not bringing up players properly because you clearly are. Well, I'd like people to actually back that up with some evidence because I can tell you we've put more players into the premiership or URC than, than, than not just Jersey, but Jersey as a club have done that. But if we're averaging four to four and a half or 4.7 players per season going to Premier just as Jersey Reds. Um, and then you add the other clubs like Coventry, they've put players into Newcastle, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think categorically, the championship's got to be a fantastic um, playing opportunity for younger players with the raw materials that need to go and go and find that that game time. Uh, you mentioned just a couple of Kieran Hardys, a couple of the Harry Williams. And, and they've not just gone on to play the premiership. They've gone on to play international rugby. That's not not taking into consideration the number of players that have gone on and, and played a huge amount of games in, in the premiership. I, I just, off the top of my head, Jake Woolmore at Bristol, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, uh, I think the players, once given the opportunity, um, I'd like to see more players recognised for, for being standout players in the championship. But, but, but isn't it also that... Um... The championship brings on all sorts of people, ref referees, uh, coaches. I'm sure you've worked with coaches that have that have um, become gone from promising to being really top class. You know, in the staging a game, it's surely they're just the ideal preparation for for everything. Well, there's one thing about philosophy of coaching: being in the trenches each week, isn't it? Yeah, when you need to adapt on the moment. You have to be accountable, and I think we've seen. We've seen medical personnel from Jersey. We've seen S&C personnel from Jersey and coaches all make the step up and be successful. And I've no doubt the experiences that they gained and sometimes through adversity means they'll be well prepped and ready to take on the challenges at the next level. 
what's um uh, what is the next step in terms of you know you've won the title uh, all over the country other clubs have had a great season and won the title of them all you're the only one who's not allowed to sort of um, to aspire to playing it in a higher level what what's your view and I, and I know um I don't want to get anyone in, into trouble here but I think if you had a vote in the rugby community they would always say they would say that morally you have won the right to play in the premiership yeah i think i i appreciate you saying that and i agree with you i think there's more to it at the moment i think we clearly not got the rugby landscape right i think everything around the game at the moment is probably negative stories and we've got an opportunity here where there's a real positive story with the great rugby community getting behind their team and you're not afforded the opportunity to play at the next level. Um, now, we understand we need to look after and protect our game, but I think we also need to hold on to some of the traditional values and ethos of what, about what we're all about. And given us that opportunity to play at the next level when we've done everything right, we've won the games we've needed to win, we've been on the right side of the in the green when it comes to the finance of the game and we've got a growing support, we should work, we should at least work together around the prospects of the Reds being able to, to make the next step. You, um, uh, I mean, I'm quite a hardliner in the sense that I think if you've won it uh, and if you've won, you're right. You go up and then, and, and then uh, you play in the division, then you sink or swim, or as does everybody else. But this thing about you're always pinned back by this minimum, these minimum standards, etc. Well, I think the minimum standards should be applied after you've had a few seasons there to give yourself some breathing space. But say that that they they do keep saying you minimum standards. What capacity have you got there to at least uh, build a bigger ground, take it up to however many k and etc. Because it is a great prospect to have Jersey in there for. For fans, for a start, I mean, what a great weekend they could have. Have you have you set the the wherewithal to improve your facilities along the lines of what the Premiership wants? First and foremost, I think we need to find the balance for all those minimum standards are and the, the, the criteria needs to match the product. So in point number one. Point number two is giving us that opportunity, like you said, we will grow with the game. But yes. we need to know what that is a realistic picture of what that is. Now, all I can say on on Jersey Reds is we have the ambition to get to the next level. We have, that's why we put a three-stage plan in place so that we could meet the criteria. Well, if that criteria is changing, we need to know what that looks like as soon as possible so we can plan accordingly. Now, with whatever revenues come in with stepping up from the championship to the premiership will allow us to accelerate our facility, our infrastructure, our playing group. And to add to that, the the enjoyment of, you've got to think that all the away supporters will think a weekend in Jersey is a pretty, pretty good place to go uh, and take in, take in rugby and take in, take in the island. So at the moment, I can only see positives around that. What term, in terms of recruitment, you do your players do coming in and out because you know you ha- you do have this ability to to send them on to better things. What would be the principles for recruiting next year? You're the champion team. Um, 
have you the capability to 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 bring in bigger names, bigger players while 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 others go? And what are you what are you expecting the team to look like next year? I mean, right right now we're going to work within our championship budget because we can't make the step up. We're going to continue with our philosophy is of identifying young talented players and develop them in coaches and give, uh, develop them with our coaching and give them the opportunity to get rugby. We're not at that stage yet when we can start to sign those marquee players just yet. Uh, so we'll we'll retain the same poli- or so, so, so probably philosophy or policy that we've had this this season. Uh, it's going to be challenging being the champions, um, and we know we'll be will be that cup final, that target for a lot of teams. But um, we've managed that pressure this season. We've rotated as a squad. Our, our culture and environment is a positive one. Um, and it's not going to be easy, but uh, but it's not supposed to be. Uh, you know, we're we're there, we're there, uh, we're there, going to go out and, and compete each week. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a pity we're not. Um, you know, we've probably at that crossroads across rugby, we've not been able to properly capitalize on on our achievement this season. What um, is the the prospect for this weekend? Because you got your, an old enemy again this weekend. Is that? Um... Uh, the status of that tournament is, is that going to bring the best out in you, or is it is it, a, is it a kind of not an afterthought, but is it any form of festival game, or is it a full-blooded cup final? No, I think um, we're we're well aware of the fact that Ealing have got an opportunity to to get one back, seeing that we're ahead of them in the league. We are at that difficult stage of the season where um, you know it's been a long season. And we need to, we, we, you know, we've had to manage manage players through that. So, but we, you know, the opportunity to go and do the double or be in an opportunity where you can win two trophies. I mean, players go through their whole career, players and coaches, with, without an opportunity to even get into this situation, in this position. Mm. So we will make sure we will, we will continue to be what we've been all season. That's Jersey Reds and we'll go and play the same way. Well said, and just coming a couple more th- things, Harvey. Um, the 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 not that long ago, I think it was two or three years ago, there was a huge cut from the RFU in their um in in what they gave you in in the budgets, etc. I mean, in my from where I'm sitting, it is a magnificent achievement that that not only the championship stayed together, but clearly this year has been more competitive, as as you said, on a, a drastically limited funding from central control. Do you feel now that you deserve to be sort of treated much better in terms of profile, but also investment from Twickenham? Because what you've done with no investment has been stupendous. Firstly, thank you. Second thing, I'll talk about Jersey Reds and the resilience they've shown through those difficult times. But that that message of resilience needs to go out to all the championship clubs. The standard rugby they they put out, with a lack of funding and support, has been exceptional across all teams. I think the battle at the top and the battle at the bottom has brought some excitement across who's who's winning it at the top and who's going to be relegated. All those things has been it's been great to be part of that whole that whole campaign across all the clubs. And you need to commend all the, all, all the clubs in the championship for that. Um, the endeavour to play exciting rugby, the way teams have fronted up across everything that the essence of rugby has been all about. And then looking forward, I listened to a podcast with Simon Massey-Taylor 
talking around making sure we get it, you know we can get the best of best out of players and he was talking about a potential premiership looking looking like 10 teams and the duty of care that that brings to to the players less games and everything else out and I probably looked at that from a different perspective and I thought well why would you put 14 teams into the second tier with less resource less funding and still try and offer a duty of care mm. I found that very confusing well, incredibly well put, if I, if I may say so. You were known as a, as, a, as a really nifty and clever scrum half in your playing days. Is winning the title a career peak for you, or do you still hanker back to the old days when you could, you could do it yourself on the field? I think it was fantastic as a player to be part of all of those, all of those moments when, when, when I was at WAS and, and, and even when I was at the you know, course pass when, when, when we won the British and Irish Cup as a coach. This one means more than any of them. I think it's the journey we've been on, the battles we've been through, and and knowing you've, you've built something and put something together over a sustained period of time of progression, and we've actually got there. So, so from a, you know from a sense of pride, you can't take any of those moments away as a player. But this one, this one, from the way it, the way it feels, it, it really means so much, and it, it's got a different feel to it. Finally, your excellent uh, media officer over there um, has put out a release, and I don't think there's a misprint. It says your contract, new contract, is to 2029. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, so I've got five five seasons left, and and hopefully, hopefully, well, the ambition was just part of putting this three-stage plan together was to give us the opportunity to win the championship. Um, and hopefully get the opportunity to play at the next level. So I think what's really important now around players, coaching careers, and my own probably ambition is that we get this, that the RFU get this right about what it looks like. And yeah. I just think it's a fantastic opportunity. Make no doubt, I want to be coaching um, at the next level. I want to, I have that ambition. Um, it seems very difficult to break into the premiership. So the next best way to do it is to is to make sure we can get Jersey Reds there. I've uh, I've looked uh, done some research among football. Pep Guardiola's not on a six year deal, uh, so you clearly you've clearly done better than better than him. And I can't find anyone else. I don't even think Sir Alex Ferguson ever signed a contract for so long. So uh, you you deserve every 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 minute of of your contract, Harvey. And uh, really like great to talk to you today. Congratulations to Jersey Reds. Good luck in the cup final. Uh, we must wish you all the very best and look forward especially to the day when you run out in the premiership. Well, I, I really appreciate it. It, it means a lot. Um, you know, it's great that we've been put in this position, but also the fact that we've got such a fantastic player support team behind me with young coaches again, Rob Weber, Tom Williams, a fantastic S&C staff and take nothing away from the enthusiasm our players have had all season to continue to to learn, grow, and develop. And I appreciate you taking the time out because um, it's great that uh, an island community with so much excitement around rugby and a sport is actually getting this sort of coverage. So so really appreciate it. That was Harvey from Jersey Reds. Harvey, thanks a million. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Harvey. And we should just say that uh, Ealing Trailfinders faced Jersey in the Championship Cup final in Ealing uh, this weekend. Now, next up on The Ruck, we'll chat to Al about his long read in this month's edition of Rugby World. We'll 
cover the breaking news that's, that's happened just this morning as we came into the studio, Gregor Townsend staying on with Scotland, and we'll nominate our God or Goddess of the Week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Al, the latest edition of Rugby World magazine is on the shelves and, and over the last few years you've created a series of investigative reads on rugby but, but on issues that, that rugby players are having to, to confront and deal with. This time you've you focused in on, on grief which is clearly not something that only rugby players have to deal with but, mm-hmm. but you've, you've, you've looked at it in what is Mental, Aware- Mental Health Awareness Month. You've, you've looked at that subject through, through the prism of rugby, through the eyes of of professional athletes just just talk us through what, what you why you came across that what you found through the process of, of writing it so yeah it's it's one of those things we're very fortunate at rugby world magazine to have the space and depth to to cover issues and topics and i'd love to say it's as organic as us going well if we circle this on the calendar here this would work there oftentimes what happens is you come up with an idea you explore it a little bit to see if it's worth looking into if they're the human stories are there but also to see if there's a, a good avenue to sort of point people in the right direction to get help because a lot of the a lot of this is is aimed is trying to look at things through an athlete's perspective because you're right just at the top grief is a universal thing and that's why I wanted us to look at it because it's one of those things that affects everyone and in the age of high performance when we talk about the little one percenters what an enormous thing to potentially impact how you perform on the field and yet we never really talk about it. So I wanted to explore that as an idea. And as I got into it, I was fortunate enough to be, I was going to say like Sherpas, I have guides, uh, young athletes who spoke fantastically, eloquently about the issue. And uh, I just thought it was a good opportunity to explore different stories because one of the things one of the things we find and a phrase that was used almost every by every, every single person that we spoke to is is there's no guidebook for this there's no there's no blueprint for how to handle it but also every single individual is different so for every one story the next person would have a completely different one even if on paper you'd suggest that they had similar experiences so we wanted to look at that and we wanted to speak to people the RPA were incredibly helpful the Irish Rugby Players Association were incredibly helpful and yeah it's by no means does this do we feel that this offers any hint of that blueprint on how to deal with it but purely we hope it serves to show you the human side of these superhuman athletes that we deal with and also to tell their stories and hopefully point some of them in the right direction if they want to seek help even if it doesn't exist to know that there are people going through similar things to them maybe not identical and also there's an element of it of saying to the average person that these people are like you, but also if you want to, to find help, look where you are. So there's, uh, I've thrown a lot of different layers at, at you there, but we just thought it was, was important. And as you say, this is something that I feel that we have to do as a magazine. We've covered lots of different things, a lot of it very rugby focused. I mean, we've looked at problem gambling and match fixing, for example, in the magazine. We've looked at athletes dealing with career ending injuries and all this kind of thing. And actually an interesting element of doing it, this is, and, and it's one thing that we covered in the piece as well, is, is that 
and it's a big talking point in rugby at the moment is is like sometimes career ending injury or the the loss of employment can feel like grief and in fact one of the things we were told by the RPA is that a number of players from Worcester for example uh, felt like they were there was a bereavement after they lost their club and for some guys that's it they'll never play professional rugby again or at least not at this level a lot of different layers to it hopefully we've done it justice but it's just something that we you know we wanted to explore and hopefully open up a conversation about in your experience of of writing these types of, of pieces and, and working with players unions do you feel that rugby has an environment professional rugby has an environment where players can find the support they need I mean we're in the radio studios here you'd, you'd hope that anyone at who was going through a, a tough time, whether it was addiction, gambling or, or grief, would find that support within their own workplace. As a professional rugby player, what is the level of support? Is is it there for them? Is there more that needs to be done? Or, Well, firstly, you'd like to hope there is. And certainly, it's something we talk about quite a lot, actually. And it's particularly when we talk about something like, for example, brain injury, um, is that what we think is best practice now wasn't what we thought best practice was five years ago. It almost certainly won't be what best practice is five years from now because we all evolve. So a lot of people we spoke to said things are are better. It's something, now this is just my personal view, is that something that I'll, I'll always talk about is for athletes at this, this, this level is if we th- believe that there's such valuable assets to us, the role of psychology and support shouldn't be seen as a breaking case of emergency thing. And oftentimes, you know, we, we live in an age where clubs will, because everything is performance focused, we'll see a lot of performance coaches, mental health, mental performance coaches, which is why you need a mechanism like the RPA have or like the IRPA have, uh, sorry, the Irish rugby players have, where uh, people can go to them and get the help they do. Uh, you know, I don't want to say that everything's perfect now or that, that there are, are major issues to go. It's just the whole point of this I think is to have a conversation about it and the thing that I find promising is that there are lots of people that are willing to have that conversation well, That in-depth um, investigation Longlead is in the latest edition of, of Rugby World magazine Good Stuff Al um, Let's just touch quickly on a couple of breaking news issues One, we're learning that Wasps have only a couple of weeks in which to meet seven or eight RFU criteria if they want to have their licence to play in the championship rubber stamped at uh, the next RFU board meeting. That includes everything from, from governance structures to the appointment of a director of rugby and the recruitment of a squad, neither of which are, are in place at, at the moment. So um, that is, that's one thing for us, for us to watch over the next couple of weeks. And the other, as we mentioned earlier, uh, announced just this morning, Gregor Townsend, uh, reappointed or having his contract extended as a Scotland head coach. Barnsley, is that a good appointment? There was talk that they might be looking elsewhere. There was talk that he might be looking elsewhere. But actually, he's he's contracted now through to April 2026. Yeah, I, I think it is a good appointment. I think Gregor struggled for a while. He was a bit scared about the difference between being Glasgow and Scotland coach, and he was quite negative. But I think in the last year and a half, uh, Scotland have made mighty strides. Not all necessarily results, but the way they play. And the, the only thing I would say is it feels to me like it's a little bit of a scrap between the SRU and Townsend. There were those who didn't want him. Townsend's won. They're right to say, you know, the World Cup should be no criteria for judgment because they're in a pool with South Africa and Ireland. But I would say 24 and 25, there's two Six Nations, there's overseas tours, is there one overseas tour maybe, but one autumn international, that's enough. And to go all the way to 2026, I think, just means if Scotland do want to freshen up for the uh, Australia World Cup, 
then they haven't given themselves quite as long as, as, as would have been ideal. Yeah, I find the timing of this very interesting. Uh, it's come hot on the heels of the next all-black coaching ticket being announced, but a lot of the best coaches from Super Rugby are going to be his assistants, and there were noises about Leon McDonald potentially being in the running for the Scotland job. He is now going to serve as an assistant to Scott Robertson, and I think once that happened, possibly the SRU turned in and went, ah, who are the leading candidates to take over if we do oust Townsend? The timing is interesting because you can always reassess and sign a new contract after two years, can't you? And you know, and if you think World Cups are more important than anything else, then leaving it to a year after now, we know it can be done. But particularly in an age where we think where it's the noises are being that we're going to get World World Cup draws done later and closer to the next event. Those interim years are very, very important as well. Mm, it's interesting. So we'll have Andy Farrell's contracted up until 2025, coincides with the Lions tour. Mm. But I don't think we've ever seen uh, a, a contract handed out that finishes in between a Lions tour and a, and a World Cup. It's like they don't quite know, they don't quite want to back him through to the World Cup yet. I'm not sure how you take that, but that's who, that's that's where Scotland are. They've they've stuck with Gregor Townsend. I think I think is a good appointment. I think he's growing into that role as as Barnsley said, and um, he's got them moving in the right direction. We need to finish with our God or Goddess of the week, Stuart. If you've given this any thought, usually we rock up in the studio yeah. and realise no, no one's actually nominated one. Stuart? Yeah, my God of the week is Chris Ashton. He should be playing in a playoff, but in true Ashton style, he got a red card. <laughs> In true Ashton style, you look at the decision and you think, what a load of horse. Static tackle. He's going to miss out now. And it's another one of those red cards where you think things are getting ridiculous. So whether he's scoring a hat-trick one week or getting sent off to remind us that we need to think seriously about the direction in our game, Ashton is influential He's entertaining, doesn't take himself seriously, and he's been a great player for a long time. So I'm not going to say a red card is proof of feet of clay, even though, you know, we like our heroes to have feet of clay. I'm going to say the red card just typifies the contrary nature of rugby and the contrary nature of Chris Ashton, and he is my God of the Week. Brilliant. I love that. Al? Oh, well, I I mean... I've gone for gods of the week and I just wanted to give a shout out I think this is a perfect opportunity Fijian Drua oh uh, yes just the way that they play rugby is <laughs> sensational they've had they've now taken the biggest scalps you can possibly get in Super Rugby in the Crusaders and Chiefs playing just wonderful heads up stuff um, what a breath of fresh air they've been to Super Rugby and we just hope that uh, everything goes from strength to strength there out in Fiji and now some people might think this is a homer pick because (laughs) friend of the podcast Mark Evans is the CEO out there with Fiji and Drew but they just deserve credit I mean the fact that they were getting talked about over here for the way that they're playing just just shows that they are making huge strides and we just hope that it over time that this has a beneficial effect on the Fijian national team How's their driving line out? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we must get Mark back not, on. He it's must not their key it. weapon, is it? It's not their key <laughs> weapon. No, that is for sure. That is for sure. Brilliant. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic pick. They've they've really brought brought a whole new dynamic to to that competition. And um, fair play to Mark. He, he took the plunge, went down there, and, and led up the competi- led up the, the team, and going great guns. So yeah, we must get him back on. To I bet, uh, I bet he'll be he'll be loving it. Um, I I will stick with. I'm going to go with Ollie Lawrence, who obviously scored that key try, but. 
in in putting together my team of of the season, I was reminded of two things that were I was told when he was still at Worcester. One that Steve Diamond singled him out as being a really important leader in a in keeping the squad tight during a, a time of adversity. And the second, which is allied to that, is that at the point where the academy house got got uh, had to be repossessed because the club weren't paying the, the mortgage. Uh, Ollie took took a, a homeless lad in. He was going to have to move back home and be, live too far away from the club to continue playing. He took him into his house and, and put him up. And all of that underpinning a hell of a, a, hell of a season uh, and an England recall and all that. So he, he gets mine uh, just for a body of work across the, across the year, which I think has been supremely impressive on and off the field. Um, oh, cool. There's our three, our three nominees. Uh, everyone, thank you for joining us. On the right, we'll be back next week to review the Gallagher Premiership semi-finals. So please keep reading, keep listening, like and subscribe wherever you get your pods. This episode, as always, has been produced by Alfie Reynolds. Hold up. 